You don't just get to be named fittest in Saskatchewan by CrossFit headquarters by accident, and you certainly don't rank among the highest CrossFitters in the country without effort. So many people see the finished product, but the road to get there is a journey. I'm Kelly Angstrom. This is Keep Yourself Well. Sometimes a person's accomplishments and resumes are so impressive, you literally want to read it off like a ring announcer at a boxing match. I'll try to contain myself. So simply put, Jason Kane is the owner of CrossFit 306 here in Saskatoon. He's also a coach, a two-times CrossFit Games competitor, an international Olympic weightlifting champion, a nationally qualified powerlifter, a CanWest wrestling champion in his university days, a father, a husband, an entrepreneur. I could go on, and he's also a good friend of mine. I'm so happy to have him here with me today. Hi, Jason. Thank you so much for being here. Welcome to the podcast. I'm stoked to have you. Awesome. I'm super excited to be here. So I've had the pleasure of knowing you, I think for probably close to a decade. We met like back in my very early bodybuilding days, which I don't feel like we're old enough to have known each other for a decade, but it's been just recently that I've gotten the chance to know you a little bit better as I've been training at your gym for, I think about two months now doing CrossFit. And I have been having such a blast getting to know more about you personally, especially in terms of your history as an athlete, because I almost embarrassingly, embarrassingly so now have referred to myself as a lifelong athlete, but now knowing your very impressive resume. I don't think that I can say that anymore because you are the <laughs> epitome of a lifelong athlete. So uh, knowing that athletics and competition have been just such a big part of your life up into this point, and you've obviously put your body through a lot over the years, I want to know, how do you define wellness, not only as an athlete, but also as a coach? And how do you keep yourself well? Um, I think I would define wellness as the ability to live your life to the fullest so if you are free of sickness and you're feeling energized and you can actually take on everything that you want to do in any given day to me that's wellness um and the steps that i take to make sure that i can live at the highest level of wellness if you will are things like sleep i the huge priority on sleep making sure that i go to bed at the same time every night and i'm getting my you know my eight hours of quality sleep every night and then I follow that up with high quality nutrition. And of course, I work out. I try and stay active, you know, at least six days a week where I'm being very active. Now, there's a difference between what I call training and activity. You know, training is for the purpose of improving your strength, your cardiovascular, any of your energy systems. And then there's just activity where you're just out playing sports with your friends, you're out kayaking with your kids, you're going for a bike ride. And I always tell people, especially once they reach 40, you know, training three to five times a week is about all you'll be able to do, but you can be active at least six days a week. So, and I think if you take that approach, you can live really well for a very long time. Yeah. A really holistic approach, like the sleep, nutrition, recovery. So what, how does recovery play a part in that with training? Well, and we have to say you're what 43 and you're still training six days a week. So you're the exception, not the rule. Uh, but because you've trained, like I said, literally an, a lifelong athlete, like you're built for this at this point. So how do you function in terms of recovery training six days a week? So the biggest thing I do is I make sure that, uh, and this is something that I've had to add on because I've learned from my mistakes, um, Ramwad. So I do mobility work every single day now. Uh, as I'm getting older, I can feel that I'm just getting a little bit tighter. You're not as springy. You don't recover as well. So those things like improving your stretching and your mobility go a long way. And they keep you injury free, especially if you're trying to move faster across your workout. Uh, if you don't have the right mobility, you're very susceptible for injury. So hopefully you have a good coach that changes your movement and recognizes that quickly. And you're also on top of your mobility. So mobility is a big one. Um, and I don't do more than three intense days in a row. Once in a while, I'll sneak in a fourth day, but I usually feel it pretty good when I start. So even though I'm going to try and train, 
you know, close to six days a week. I don't do three days, more than three days in a row. Then I'll take a day where it's, I'm really backing off. I might do some light activity and I'm still kind of busy all day, but I won't put in a big strenuous day. And I listen to my body. Um, so in, before I go on to this, I think there's something that people need to understand. There's a big difference between uh, motivation and discipline. Most people often, and I hear this all the time, and you might even hear this as a nutrition coach. I didn't feel like it, you know, like, I don't, I don't feel like doing this. I'm like, okay, we got to get rid of this nonsense that you don't feel like doing this or feel like doing that. Being active and training isn't something that you need to feel like doing. It's something you have to do. It's the equivalent of brushing your teeth. Do you know how often I feel like brushing my teeth? Once in a blue moon, but I brush my teeth like three times a day. Why? Because grateful that you do. Right? Like I, I brush my teeth because it's just something we need to do for our own personal health, right? So training and activity is the equivalent. You just need to be disciplined and just put it into your calendar. All right. At this time I train, I just book it in. People are saying, I don't have time. I don't have time. I'm like, trust me, if I have time, you have time. Mm-hmm. Um, you just have to book it in and it becomes a priority. I mean, people are streaming Netflix for hours upon hours from the hours of eight o'clock at night till midnight, but yet they don't have time to do a 20 minute, you know, exercise. Yeah. I, um, it's a non-negotiable I say, and I consider it a daily prescription. It's hundred percent sleep, water, move your body every day. And like you're saying, I think, and this actually leads really well into something that I wanted to talk about some of the common misconceptions and preconceived notions about CrossFit, which I, of course, like I had some going into CrossFit and I think very many people do. So I wanted to ask, what do you think some of the like common misconceptions, myths, barriers to entry are because I think one that I often see and now I'm very excited and passionate about being like no it's not that way like you don't have to kill yourself every single day and even if the workout is overwhelming you can scale it you can adjust it it can literally be adapted for any body type fitness level working around injuries like it really crossfit really can be for anyone and i feel like that sounds so markety of me but i didn't feel that way originally going in so what do you find are the biggest things that you find when people are you know wanting to sign up or trying to dip their toe in the water but like not pulling the trigger yeah the, the biggest misconception that i get is that i need to get fit before i start doing crossfit <laughs> of that's course. probably the one that i hear the most And it's equivalent to me. And I always tell people, I'm like, you know, you see commercials on TV of people going skiing and they're getting dropped from helicopters and they're going down the hardest mountain, hitting crazy powder on the way down. I'm like, and they think, you know, CrossFit, because all they've seen is the commercials on TV of people doing like these crazy movements and they're hand walking and lifting these big weights. And there's these Adonis looking men. And I'm like, yeah, those are the professional athletes. Just like, do you watch the Olympics and then see what they do? And like, well, you know, I'm not ready to do, you know, a triple somersault off a 10 meter platform diving. And I'm like, of course not. Like everything has a beginning and any CrossFit that's well run. And luckily enough, those in our city here are actually quite well run. It's very progressive in nature. You know, I, I always tell to people, my oldest athlete right now is 67 years old. Wow. She's 67 years old and she's doing CrossFit every like four or five times a, a week. Right. So it's just, everything gets adjusted both in load and skill and in uh, volume mm-hmm. to make sure that it's appropriate for that athlete. All we're trying to do is create a little bit of discomfort within your body to promote your body to grow. So your body's a, this brilliant machine and it'll respond to any stimulus you put on it. So as long as you're putting an appropriate amount of stimulus on it, your body will keep adapting to that stimulus because your body wants to make life easier for you. We have this huge ability to adapt as humans, but we need that little bit of stimulus. And unfortunately, we've taken our lives now where most people, and if you're listening to this podcast, you'll probably start nodding, but let me run you through the day that I see most people have. They'll wake up from a lying down position because that's how we sleep. And then they'll walk downstairs to their kitchen or walk from their bedroom to their kitchen. They'll pour themselves a cup of coffee and then they'll sit down. And by that time, they've probably already checked their phone or now are already on their phone. Then after their cup of coffee, most of them will skip breakfast and they'll drive to work. 
Once they get to work after driving in a sitting position, they'll sit down at their desk in front of a computer. And now they'll start getting a little bit hungry and they'll go grab whatever food is readily available, which is usually some sort of high fat, high carb option. Right. And that takes them till about 11 o'clock in the morning. And now they're not feeling good. So they're going to have a second cup of coffee. Then lunch comes and they'll go from sitting at their desk to sitting in the staff room or sitting somewhere else, looking at a TV or looking at their phone for another hour. And then the afternoon comes, they'll feel that crash around two, three o'clock from that, you know, that insulin spike that they had from that high carb lunch. And then they'll peter out at three o'clock. They'll have more coffee. And then at 4.30, they're counting down the time to leave for home. Then they start, they drive back home. Worst case scenario, they'll go through a drive-through because God forbid we cook our own meal and pick up some processed food, go home, feel exhausted from a day of sitting, and then not sure why their health is going sideways. And I totally understand it. We've created the society. We've created this world where we've removed all ways that we can potentially physically exert ourselves because as mammals, we want to conserve as much energy as possible for our survival. But we've swung the pendulum too far and we forgot that we are designed to move. We are healthier if we move every single day. Yeah. Well, and I say it all the time, like the, when it comes to nutrition and I'm glad you mentioned insulin because that's a big part of what I focus on in the work that I do is how much better you feel, you know, mentally and physically when your insulin is not swinging all day long, of course, you know, the movement and all the other variables. But when it comes to nutrition, for example, all of a sudden we have a Sobeys down the street and we don't have to work to get our food and everything's extremely calorically dense and we're eating six times a day. So the environment around us has changed our physiology and our biology as humans has not. So we are not doing the things to compensate for all of the conveniences that now around us. And I think you and I both as entrepreneurs, like both working within the wellness industry, we've created a lifestyle that's hugely advantageous in yes, giving us that flexibility to make an effort in those things. But we also understand how easily those efforts can be made if you schedule them into your day. And I always say it, you know, motivation is fleeting. It's discipline and consistency. That's, that's the only thing that's going to carry you through like motivation. I sometimes go as far as to say motivation doesn't exist and people don't always like that, but like you and I both as athletes can attest to like, you wouldn't have gotten anywhere if you were relying on motivation. How many days do you want to train when you're training for, a competition or you're cutting weight. And um, so speaking of that, actually, I know most people now view you as a CrossFit athlete, obviously a power lifter, you know, you've had huge success within those niches, but I recently got to know more about your journey from like sport to sport, to sport, to sport, to sport and everything in between. So tell us a little bit about your journey, because I know you and I both started in wrestling and you had quite the journey to get to the point of doing CrossFit and where you are now. Yeah. So kind of a a quick overview of my life. Um, I started in martial arts. So I was a, I did a lot of judo and taekwondo in Quebec and to the point where actually I ended up winning the uh, Quebec summer games in 1986, which made me the de facto provincial champion in judo. So this is 1986. So most of the people listening to podcasts probably weren't even born but I was already a provincial champion in 1991. <laughs> right. Um, and then um, the biggest influence in my life came really early. I saw that most of my family members uh, spent a lot of time drinking beer, um, smoking and complaining about the government. And this is like extended family. And this was kind of like my first, you know, as a young man, as a young child, you're looking and you're seeing like family gatherings and, there's a lot of beer drinking and smoking and people are complaining about the government, which was really rampant and especially in Quebec in the late eighties. Um, and then I had this one uncle who had shredded abs. He was super fit and always happy and always smiling. And I was like, I want to be like him. <laughs> so I, I approached him really early in life and uh, I was called my cool uncle Stan. And I said, like, what's the secret? Like you seem you're the happiest guy I know. And you're super shredded and muscular and fit and happy. And then he talked to me about balance and he talked to me about nutrition and he talked to me about activity and staying active and eating a certain way. And I just soaked it all in. So by the time I hit high school, 
I got super involved in all the sports that they were offered in, in high school. I was in Mississauga in Ontario. I got really involved in wrestling and I worked my way up where I ended up um, winning the region of Peel as a wrestler. And I got uh, third in the province. Um, I also ended up uh, playing a lot of badminton. I ran for the, I did track for our high school track team. And I also swam with our swimming team. Um, I played football. Um, yeah, like I was so involved in the sports and I did all this while maintaining a really great grade point average in high school. And at the conclusion of my high school career, I was named top high school in the city, uh, top high school athlete in the city of Mississauga, which is really cool. And then I ended up going moving to Calgary and wrestling for the University of Calgary. So I was a, a dino and I wrestled for them for the first three years of university and concluded with winning the Canada West wrestling championships. And then our team finished second in Canada that year. We ended up uh, losing to Brock university in my uh, third year. And then after my wrestling career, I moved on from wrestling and I started getting really involved in adventure racing and those sorts of sports. So I started doing 24 hours of adrenaline, which is a mountain biking race in Canmore, Alberta, I did a ton of adventure racing. This was back in the day when the Eco Challenge was on TV and people were doing these like multi-day expedition races. So I was pushing that endurance framework to the, you know, to the extreme. And I was doing um, like eight, 12 hour mountain biking and kayaking races and all that stuff. And I thought that was really cool. And then uh, by, uh, by the time I was right around 30 years old and we had our first daughter, my wife's like, well, I can't have you leave for six hours at a time to go train. We need to condense your training. And I was like, oh, man, like, that's a, that's a bummer. But I guess that's what being a dad is. You can't train for like six hours a day anymore. Quick reality check. Right. And then um, I ended up um, starting going a little bit more, spending more time at the gym. And the guys at my gym were doing CrossFit. And I didn't even realize it. And I started hopping in and doing the workouts with them. And I was really loving it. I love the intensity and the speed and I could get my workouts done in a lot less time. And it was just a great rush. And then I found out that it was actually a thing like CrossFit was a sport that you can compete in. And there was clubs of CrossFit all over. And this is, this is back in 08. So like CrossFit was in its infancy and nobody had even heard of it. And then I went to my first competition in 09. Um, and I finished mid pack and this was just completely self-trained, never gone to a CrossFit gym. They asked me to do a clean and jerk and I didn't know what that was. So I did like a reverse curl to a strict press at 195 pounds and people were really impressed, but <laughs> I, like, I don't know what I'm doing. And then I realized, I'm like, man, I think I could be good at CrossFit if I join a CrossFit gym. So we left actually Calgary. I took a promotion from where I was working and we moved to Toronto. And then I tried about half a dozen CrossFit gyms until I found one that I thought was my best fit and fit my personality. The community seemed to be the most welcoming and the programming was really challenging. And then from that moment on, this is now in, you know, end of 09, starting 2010, uh, my CrossFit career just exploded and I started like winning competitions, like small events. And then my team, we finished, um, uh, we finished, I don't know, high enough at regionals to qualify for the CrossFit Games in 2010. So in 2010, I went to the CrossFit Games for my first time. And then I replicated. And when I was there in 2010, I remember I was in the tennis stadium and I was watching the individual athletes because I was on the team side and our events were done for the day. And I was watching the individuals. And I, word for word, this is what I said. I said, I think I can be good enough to be in the bottom third of the CrossFit Games. I mean, I was already like 32 at the time. So I, I realized that the top guys were like 21 and I was way past my prime, but I'm like, I think with like some dedicated training, I could be bottom third of the CrossFit games. So then I really turned my training into high gear. And the following year was the first year to introduce the CrossFit open because CrossFit was exploding. Now, now it's 2011 CrossFit is exploding. I ended up getting second in Canada East in the open, moving on to regionals, um, and then I ended up winning regionals. So I was the number one ranked athlete coming out of Canada East and going to the CrossFit Games. And sure enough, as prophecy said, I finished in the bottom third of the CrossFit Games in 2011. But that ended up blowing up um, super well for me. And I was very fortunate. I ended up getting a 10-year uh, licensing deal with Reebok, who were the title sponsor. And they wanted to partner up with key athletes across the country. And they had me pegged as a key athlete. So we moved from Toronto and we moved again across the country to Saskatoon. 
opened the first Reebok branded gym in Western Canada. And then I kept competing. And um, just to wrap it up, because I've already said so much, but the, I had this kind of moment in 2012 where I won the Open for Western Canada. And then I went to regionals. And the loading of the events were super heavy for me as a smaller athlete, I was 170 pounds. And, uh, even though I was super fit and I could move really fast, I really struggled under heavy loading. And then I was really discouraged, but instead of, you know, feeling too down for myself, I looked at as another opportunity for growth. And I started looking at weightlifting as a sport that I can compete in. I'm like, well, let's find out how I can start weightlifting. And then sure enough, I took on the sport of weightlifting and that ended up doing really well for me. I qualified for the Canadian senior championships within the first six months of starting competitive weightlifting. Um, and then I started breaking provincial records and then I was already moving on to being 35 now. So I started competing as a master. And then I went down and competed at the Pan American championships as a master. And I was named best lifter across all 35 year olds. And then when I turned 41, I ended up winning uh, second in the world for weightlifting as well as a master. So, yeah, yeah, just and there's short, more than that. Just, just, just short the Sparks Notes version is still insane. So, what is your what's next? Are you competing? Is there anything on the horizon at 43? Yes. Yeah, so here's my. Uh, all right. So I, I try not to share my goals because I don't like to have too much of a spotlight on me because then I feel more pressure. But um, next year, Tokyo is hosting the World Masters Games which is the, basically the Olympics for masters. So I'll be 44 and competing in the 40 to 45 year old division. And I'm going to try. And my goal is to win the world masters games as a 44 year old in Tokyo next year. And then the following year I'll be 45. And my goal is to be on the podium at the CrossFit games as a 45 year old. Awesome. So yeah, Just my, so my cool. kids always bug me because as, as many accolades as I've done and as much of a career, I've been mean, competing in sports for 30 years. They're like, yeah, but you're not a world champ. The best I've ever done is second in the world. So they're like, you yeah, keep you humble. Those girls keep you. Humble. So the, the, the joke at my house is hashtag not a world champ. Yeah. You could do better, dad. You could do better. Right. Well, and something you actually, I wanted to mention, I mean, and congratulations, like it's amazing. And I have no doubt in my mind, you'll achieve both of those, obviously, but it's like, say it and make it. So you, it's not like the dreaming thing. It's the difference between a dream and a goal, right. As a plan that whole, obviously you're great at planning and you plan and follow through, but something you mentioned just when we were talking about like some of the barriers to entry and misconceptions about the gym was you just mentioned how we're like slightly adding more load and your body adapts, right? Like you're pushing a bit of discomfort. It does, it's not dramatic every day, but slight discomfort, right? Like leads you in the right direction every day. And I think that there's a mental side of that as well. And I think that's something that you are elite at is embracing that mental discomfort and challenge. And I think that's probably one of the things that's made you such an elite athlete. You know, the physical is obviously part of it but I think the mental truly is at 50 percent or more like what do you think in terms of that the physical versus mental ratio when it comes to goals like that you know it's hard to pinpoint a ratio but man we would definitely being a doing a disservice if we didn't mention the importance of uh having tolerance for discomfort mm-hmm. and I think in our society we've kind of swung the pendulum to the point where we believe that we are better served as a human species. If we're hundred percent comfortable all the time, there's no growth in comfort. Comfort is fine. And that should be the result of a hard effort. Uh, but the true joy in life is to grow. It's to challenge yourself. It's to feel uncomfortable and then growing through those moments. Um, yeah, I can't handle the amount of comfort that people want in their lives at all times. Like, this doesn't feel good. I'm like, what? What do you mean it doesn't feel good? It's fine. Like, you're supposed to be uncomfortable. You know, I, I've had some people tell me like, oh, you know, I, I'm having trouble breathing. I'm like, yeah, that's what happens. Like, it's, you have to be able to kind of adapt to the fact that like, this is what discomfort feels like. Breathe, relax, push it's okay. Like we all make it through it's, and it's once you start understanding that 
you can actually survive a high level of discomfort. It changes your whole life and it starts to change how you attack every aspect of your life, whether it's your career, your relationships, not everything is going to be easy at all times. And you shouldn't try and make it easy all times. Look for those challenges. That's where the excitement is. That's where the adventure is. You know, you know, people graduate from school and I think there's this belief that's like, okay, now that I'm, you know, graduate with this degree, like hand me this good job and make sure I make this much money so I can buy a nice house and a nice car. It's like, nah, there's more to it than that. Like go and seek out true challenges and push yourself. I I graduated when I I got my degree in finance in university and I shook the Dean's hand and he's like, congratulations. And I was like, yeah, but I was actually a little disappointed with my degree in finance. I, I didn't think it was challenging enough. And, you know, everybody graduated. I find a lot of problems with like med school and law school and university degrees is that they make it hard for you to get in. But once you're in, they kind of just push you through. And I'm like, no, like this, I want to know that I've done something that was truly challenging. I just, I guess that's the way I've been wired my whole life. I like the, the harder challenge. Yeah. Consistent goal setting. And I do the same thing when it comes to exercise I running, for example, I'm like, I don't enjoy running. Like, okay, I'll say this with a grain of salt because I do enjoy aspects of it, but distance running, you want to quit almost the entire time. (laughs) I force myself to do it because I'm like, it's a discipline thing. If I can do this, I can do other things. And actually this week there was a workout on Tuesday at the gym and I looked at the wad online before and I had already said like I trained jiu-jitsu in the morning and I already said to myself mentally going to the gym going to be there at 6 30 um looked at the wad and I'm like 60 wall balls <laughs> 60 wall balls to start I'm like oh my god I don't nothing in me wants to do that and I'm like oh well that's too bad it's non-negotiable I already said I'm doing it I'm doing it like And now that I mentally didn't want to do it means I need to do it even more. And you feel so much more accomplished and it just, everything in life is easier when you learn that you can push through that discomfort. And I think the goal setting is a big part of it. And, you know, it's really cool to reflect on your story too, knowing that you had this uncle who was very influential and was a role model for you, because I feel like it was a really big blessing in my life to be common athlete at a very young age. It taught me discipline. It taught me structure. It taught me drive. It taught me how to nourish my body and to fuel my body, all of these things. So having that role model was obviously something that was very big for you. And so, you know, the people who you were saying just aren't even used to the discomfort of being short of breath or like having that fire in their lungs. I can imagine how intimidating that is for someone who never had the role model didn't start when they were young and are starting from scratch you know that really is a disservice so having people like you in the community and I mean the all the coaches at 306 are awesome and the kids program programming it creates role models to give people an earlier start and I think there's so much to be learned when you can get started younger and obviously you know your girls are so active too which is just a huge advantage for every facet of life that's to come beyond just the physical aspects. Love it. (laughs) Okay. So I wanted to ask you about this quote that I caught myself saying the other day. And then I was like, but wait, I don't think, I don't know if I really feel that way. So Jack of all trades, master of none. I was referring specifically to jujitsu at the time. And I mean, I won't even go down that road because I think there's so much benefit in like versatility within martial arts. And also I'm like a lowly white belt and I know basically nothing. So I don't get to have an opinion at this point, but in terms of really specialized sports, like wrestling, for example, um, like early specialization is something that you see a lot. Gymnastics, I think, or your girls are involved in gymnastics a little bit or were So I have always said Jack of all trades, master of none, in that there's some benefit to really honing in on your sport as if it's an art. But then there are people like you who I feel like truly, I want to say jack of all trades, but you almost mastered like every trade as you went. But I feel like that broad approach that you have taken to athletics your whole life really was one of the things that gave you so much versatility to transition to CrossFit, which is literally designed to include like the strength, the speeds, like the gymnastic component. So what do you think about the benefit of that advantage and early specialization in both 
children as well as adults. So um, interestingly enough, one of the reasons I didn't get to specialize early was financial. My parents didn't have enough in their finances to allow me to specialize. So I was picked out early in a few different sports, uh, both in judo, taekwondo, and then in downhill skiing um, to go through a much more competitive stream at a higher level, which came with higher costs. But financially, I, it wasn't in the cards for me to specialize. So one of the reasons I became a journalist and played in so many sports is that until I got to the high school level where I could compete and not have it come out of my parents' you know, pocketbook. Um, I just, we didn't have the money to, to get me to specialize. So that's kind of like how that came to be. Um, and I've always loved basically all sports. I just love sport in general. I love activity. I love trying new things. I love the adventure. So for me, it worked out well. And of course it led to CrossFit where it's like, well, can you, are you powerful? And then do you have a good strength base, but are you, you know, I have a big endurance base at the, uh, as well. And I've had like, a, because of my versatility and my broad adaptation, I was good across it very early on. Now, referring back to your question, my thoughts on specialization. Um, I think early specialization is a disservice to kids. I do. I, I think kids are better suited. And even to be said for that, like all three of my daughters are specializing, if you will, at an early age and I discourage it <laughs> and it makes me maybe a bit of a hypocrite because they are doing it, even though I'm discouraging it. Um, and it's hard when your kids are so passionate about something and they're getting really good at it and you want to support their passion. Um, but I do think that I'll be better served, maybe not better served, but I'd like them to do more things. Um, I find that the opportunity for burnout is really high in early specialization. I'll give you an example. I have a kid in our teen program who finished uh, first in the open in Canada this year. And I was talking to her mom and she mentioned to me that since she's been doing CrossFit, cause she's also heavily involved in gymnastics and in volleyball, uh, the fact that she added CrossFit did the opposite of burning her out. It actually gave her more balance because whenever she has a bad day in gymnastics and made her, Oh, like she didn't dwell on it as much because she had a good day in CrossFit. And if she had a bad day in CrossFit, it was okay because she had a, you know, a good day in volleyball. So she had always had something else to kind of balance her out. So all her eggs weren't in one basket. And I remember um, when I was 30 years old and I was training for CrossFit, we already had two kids and my wife was pregnant again. She kept getting pregnant somehow. And then uh, I was, um, I was working a corporate job in pharmaceutical in uh, Mississauga and I remembered that it was actually I was super super busy and I wasn't able to just focus on training which ended up being a really good thing because when I had a bad day in training I couldn't even dwell on it because I had so much on my plate with work and then when I had a bad day at work it didn't matter because I had to go hit my CrossFit workout right away so I was like I couldn't dwell on anything which actually ended up being a great thing so I'm a big fan of you know, specialization is good. And I love seeing the Olympics and what these athletes do, but there's a lot to be said for having other things to make sure you stay balanced. I mean, we're just hearing about Simone Biles and her mental aspect and pulling out of the team all around. And, you know, to me, and again, I don't know her story, but when you hear stories like that, you know, there's a lot to be said about the pressure of being so specialized in one sport. Oh, and especially at that age, you just don't even have the coping mechanisms built in. And actually the mental aspect was one of the biggest things that I was going to mention. I mean, for me, wrestling, even at just the national level, you know, in my high school years, I burnt out a couple of times, like a couple of times within high school, it was the end of the world. And I had no fun. I took it so seriously. I'd be crying if I lost because I was felt guilty and I let people down and like all of this really self-induced pressure, but also no fault of anyone else's similar to, I feel like your girls probably like, I was so tenacious. I was going to do it, whether my parents told me yes, no, specialize, do all the sports. And I was trying to dabble in other sports. And I mean, I was from a very small town where it was everyone needs to be on the team to have a team. So wrestling was the thing I focused on, but like 
had the luxury, which probably was a benefit that I was kind of obligated to like do some basketball, volleyball, because they didn't have enough people. Otherwise, I would have been just full on in wrestling. And I think, too, there's a lot of benefit of doing individual sport and team sport, especially for kids. I think there's a lot of risk of doing only individual sport because you don't learn to lose as a team, you don't learn to coexist and work together. And there's so many unique dynamics and lessons that I think come from team sports specifically. I would agree with all those statements, Callie. (laughs) I I think you're wise beyond your years. Oh, I mean, it's all, well, I mean, you've seen me at the gym. I was like the, the gym Callie struggling through the wall balls is a lot different than the professional or trying to be podcast Callie. I need to be more careful about what comes out of my mouth when I'm uh, attempting Olympic lifts, which speaking of, so do you find in terms of people who come to the gym, because you guys have Olympic lifting and weightlifting and CrossFit, obviously, do you find there's a natural progression for people from Olympic lifting to powerlifting to CrossFit? Do you try to encourage it? Do you feel like people prefer to specialize within within each of those three? Because I know for me, I think that there are days where I feel like my powerlifting and bodybuilding background is a benefit in terms of just like brute (laughs) strength. But then there's the days where you're standing beside me trying to teach me an Olympic lift. And I'm like, I'm trying to keep my arms straight. And like, they just won't. And I'm trying to do what you're telling me. So I feel like some of the movement patterns that I have ingrained almost sometimes feel like a disservice. So what's your opinion on that? Like, what do you see most frequently? Well, I'll give you a a quote that I heard uh, about a month ago in uh, a coaching course that I, that I took. And I thought, uh, I just really liked it. So it goes like this. It says hypertrophy builds the foundation for strength. Strength builds a foundation for power and power builds a foundation for performance. So in most sports that are, when you're looking at performance, a lot of it has to do with power. So even something as simple as spiking a volleyball, um, it takes a lot of power and the, some of the best athletes are the ones that are most explosive, whether it's basketball or volleyball. And we can go into a lot of discussion about, oh, it's there, but power trumps a lot of things. But in order to develop good power, you need good strength because power is a, its strength applied with speed. And in order to have strength, you need to have a decent amount of musculature. So building some good musculature on athletes early is paramount. So they can develop strength, which then turns around and develops power, which ends up improving the performance. So when you layer it that way, it makes a lot of sense and it's really exciting. So is it a disservice to have done as much bodybuilding? Um, you know, to some degree, I'd say, no, I, I think it's good. I want my athletes and I encourage like all the athletes that I do a lot of custom training for, Um, and a lot of them are CrossFit athletes, one of the biggest things I do for them right off the start is put them on a hypertrophy program where I need to build more muscles because they want to do these kipping pull-ups and muscle-ups and all these fancy things that we do in CrossFit, but they don't have the musculature to sustain that sort of dynamic effort. First and foremost, we got to build that. We got to build those strong foundations and build that musculature. And in terms of you were asking about the progression that I see for the athletes, um, I see there's always a natural a tendency. I mean, the sport of weightlifting has basically exploded over the last 10 years in conjunction with CrossFit. And I would even say that powerlifting benefited hugely from the introduction of CrossFit. I mean, all the CrossFit did was like a, you know, for lack of better words, it was a gateway drug where it finally put barbells in people's hands and said, okay, try these deadlifts at like 65 pounds. And people are like, this is so fun. All right, now try a power clean. They're like, oh, wow, I love power cleans. And then of course, when you introduce that many people to a barbell, some people say, I hate the running aspect of CrossFit. I just want to move this barbell because I really like it. Right. right. And then they got introduced to weightlifting and, and some of them's like, you know what? I just love the raw strength sport. So we've seen a migration of all of those personally. I like to see people dabble in all of it. In our CrossFit program, we reserve a day, usually Wednesdays, dedicated to strength-specific training. And that's our our Wednesday training that we often do. I love that approach. And just personally, my experience, although like very brief with CrossFit this far, I think it's really cool to push yourself to do movements you just would never do on your own. And 
you don't know you're capable of it until you try and scale it a couple times and then make, you know, the little progress is here. And I think the small victories that come in training are so exciting and more so I think with like more functional style movements as versus hypertrophy, you know, like classic dumbbell barbell stuff. I did that for a long time. And of course it's exciting to progress, but I think there's something to be said about a functional progression where all of a sudden you can get your toes to the bar for the first time. And like the first time my toes went to the bar, I squealed, like I was shocked that it happened and I was so excited and it was the smallest thing, but you know, you leave feeling so good too. And the, just the combination. I really, I'm so glad I tried. And that's one of the reasons I was excited to have you on because I don't want to say, I mean, I obviously respect you very much and what you do. And I know so many people from the gym. There's a reason I ended up at your gym, but you know, I had misconceptions for sure that I'm so glad I went. And now we have the opportunity to, you know, educate other people. So we really focused on kind of the physical side of things. So I wanted to talk a little bit more about the mental side of things. Um, and I think one of the things that comes to mind just in terms of, you know, talking about CrossFit and just talking about literally you being a lifelong athlete doing all of these things. Like I'm sure injury has been a big part of your life many times, both personally, as well as a coach. So what has your been experience been, you know, physically and mentally with injury, both within yourself and helping manage clients through that? So for the most part of my career, I was actually pretty injury free. I never had any major injury until I turned, I think I was about 37. And then it's as if like my yeah. warranty ran out <laughs> and my whole body, I was like, what the heck is happening? So I had just competed, but this was uh, 2015. I ended up uh, qualifying for the senior Canadian championships in weightlifting. And I put up my biggest total ever uh, in weightlifting. And then I competed in powerlifting and qualified for the Canadian senior nationals in powerlifting. And then I did the open and qualified for the first ever super regionals in CrossFit in a span of like three months. And then I decided I'm like, I was going to do all three, both the CrossFit super regionals, uh, the Canadian senior nationals in weightlifting and in powerlifting. Um, and this is all spring of 2015. And then I realized that like, it just didn't make sense. There was no way I could pull all three off. So I decided to fly to Newfoundland and I competed in the Canadian senior powerlifting championships while I was training for CrossFit, which made it incredibly difficult. And then I flew back. I had one month to prep for CrossFit regionals. Um, and then I showed up at regionals and I realized I was probably, I could squat probably more than 99% of the guys there. I was squatting just short of 500 pounds as a CrossFitter which was completely unnecessary. Uh, but then I hadn't been able to train my aerobic system to, you know, a high enough level to really compete at that level. And then I took a step back and I said, you know what, I'm just going to take a step back because I was really burnt out from all the sport. And then the moment I said I was going to take a step back and relax, I was playing basketball with one of our members and I pulled my hamstring and that was, you know, a, a moderate injury, but that put me on crutches for about six weeks. And then I rehabbed through that. And then I started my training again for the next season. And then in my very first weightlifting meet, I actually tore my shoulder on a snatch oh, no. and then started rehabbing that. And then uh, realized that I was going to have to take a break from competitive everything for a while. Yeah, so I what was that goal. like for you mentally? Because yeah, you've so never taken time off. It was, um, it's almost like I, the injuries, finally forced me to take the break that I needed. Um, I was completely mentally and physically burnt out. Like I had gone to a point where I was, you know, very good at so many different things that I felt I needed to do them all. But that analogy that if you, you know, if you chase two rabbits, you'll miss both. That's what happened to me. I started chasing way too many things. I'm like, Oh, I can do this and I can do this and I can do this. And I'm like, Oh my God, Jay, like settle down. And then sure enough, my body, told me I had to settle down and I was injured. And that was a recognition that a, I was 37 and I was no longer 27. So I had to spend more time doing the things that I'm currently doing, like uh, stretching a lot more, spending a lot more time caring for my body, not just training my body yeah. mentally. Um, it was pretty devastating. I, I associate a lot of my personality with my success in sport. And as a gym owner, um, I thought it was important for me 
to showcase that I could still do all these things. And like, look at me, I'm, I'm still very good at weightlifting, crossfit, powerlifting, come train at my gym, look at me. Um, and I associated with the fact that if I wasn't an elite athlete in these sports, then, you know, maybe people wouldn't give me the credibility that I, that I thought was associated with just being an elite athlete in those sports. But it was one of the best things that ever happened to me because it made me realize that our business did incredibly well, regardless in the next couple of years, because I actually, when I started pulling back on my training, I could spend that much more time with my athletes and developing them. And ultimately that's all people want. I mean, it's cool that people see like, Oh, you know, Jason Kane's done this and this and this, but ultimately yes, that's fine for him. But what can he do for me? Can he take me from here to here? The more I could showcase that, the better I felt for both myself and the better business did as well. So it was a, it was a hard pill to swallow the moment, but upon reflection, I think it was, it's what I needed. I actually almost needed to get injury injured to kind of take a step off and not so much pivot, but realize that our business didn't hinge on the fact that I needed to be a top athlete. I cannot relate more truly. I feel like I went through a very similar experience going from bodybuilding. And I think you didn't use this word per se, but there's a huge amount of your identity being wrapped up in being a competitor. So I was very, I am, it's not like I'm Callie and I do this. It's like, I'm Callie, I'm a wrestler. I'm Callie, I'm a bodybuilder. I'm Callie, I'm a powerlifter. I was like defining myself and for others and others were as well by competition and my self-worth became very tied to competition. And there was also a fear of my body is my billboard in the same way as, you know, of course yours is, and as an athlete. So when I stepped back from competition, I realized that that mentality was starting to become very slippery slope because I was also forcing myself to the point of injury, no rest. And so I was like, you know what, I'm not competing in anything. I'm not allowing myself to compete in anything right now and business grew and people respect you for what you do and you've got more time to give to others. So yeah, I feel like that was really mirrored in my experience too. And I think as a coach, and this is something it took me a few years to learn as a coach, you're being a great role model. It sets a precedent for athletes to listen to their body, to listen to their mind, to honor when that rest is needed. I mean, the conversations that are coming up now with Simone Biles, I think are amazingly timely in terms of speaking about that. So, okay. We haven't even gotten into nutrition, which, you know, I can't not talk about. So what's your philosophy on nutrition and how has that changed over your kind of decades as an athlete? If I look back to my years as a wrestler throughout university and even post my diet consistent, uh, predominantly, of you know, grains and cereals, I ate a lot of sandwiches, a lot of cereal, a lot of cereal. And not a lot of protein, you know, looking back, I I had some protein, but not, I always ate lots of fruits, not so much on the vegetable side, but tons, tons of fruit um, and always good quality food. So even though I was eating a lot of cereals and stuff, I ate a lot of good quality grains and multigrains and that sort of stuff. When I got introduced to CrossFit and I was introduced to paleo and they said, remove bread and pasta from your diet and include more nuts and seeds. I tried it. And the first time I tried it, I think this was like an 08, I lasted, I don't know if I lasted a week. I was the most miserable human on the planet because the biggest thing I did is I removed probably with like 70% of my calories from my diet and I didn't replace them with anything, right? I just said, oh, you're not supposed to eat bread and pasta because caveman didn't eat bread and pasta. So I removed that. And then I went to this huge calorie deficit and I couldn't fuel my training and I was so hungry and I was so bitter. And uh, I was like, I'm never doing this again. So I actually didn't do it for like a year. And then a year went by and then I explored it again. And, but this time I said, okay, I think my mistake was I removed all this amount of bread and calories and cereal from my diet, but I didn't replace it with anything. So if you're going to remove something, you have to like, the concept at first is in for paleo wasn't to just, um, remove things. It was the change what you were eating. Right. So instead of eating breads and grains, I had to, and pasta, I had to introduce a lot more, both protein. I increased my protein intake by a lot, but way more fruits, vegetables, and especially nuts and seeds. So I started eating a lot more almonds and cashews and just 
all sorts of nuts and seeds. Um, and what I promised myself when I changed into paleo the second time was that I will never go hungry. So as soon as I felt hungry a little bit, then I, you know, I would eat some nuts, I would eat, um, you know, some fruit, whatever it is that I needed to do, as long as it would still fit into the, the paleo lifestyle. And then my performance went through the roof. Wow. That's when things really started to improve for me. And then um, I kept that up until I started working with a nutritionist, um, probably early 2012 at this point, 2013, I was going to say. And this was when, if it fits your macros was like the oh. <laughs> thing that came out everywhere. And at its core, I had a huge issue with it because they were saying that a donut can be eaten if it fits your macros. And I'm like, well, what about quality of nutrition? What about like glycemic um, response? Everything, right? And they're like, well, no, like, you know, a donut is like an apple. I'm like, pretty sure a donut and apple <laughs> is not the same just because it fits your macros. And I had a huge issue with it. Oh, yeah. But um, I did it for about six months and I supported the whole if it fits your macros things for six months. And what I found was that. Um, I ended up increasing my calories because I was starting to switch over to a lot more just strength related sports like powerlifting and weightlifting. And I got like, I ate a lot more carbs. Like a, I think I was eating like something like 5,000 calories a day. Wow. And uh, I still had amazingly enough, like I was able to keep like a really lean profile and still good abs and musculature. And I got really strong. Like that's when I was getting close to like my best lifts all time. But the sheer amount of inflammation that I had every morning walking down the stairs, my knees were just achy. My joints were achy. I was tired. I was sluggish. Um, I could lift a ton, but outside of that, like two minutes into a crossword workout and I'd be crashing. Mm. And uh, I realized that like it wasn't the diet that was going to support me long term. So I switched off it and now I'm at a point in my life where I don't do like strict paleo. I do eat some bread. I find I do like, I think bread for me is a bit of a comfort food, but I do like a lot of introduced bread to help support my total calorie needs that I need to support my training uh, because it's an easy way for me to get my carbs in. But I watch, you know, like you were talking about the glycemic response. So I like low glycemic foods. I don't like things that spike my insulin very quickly. So I eat a lot of fruits and vegetables and a lot of uh, good quality protein. And I think more than anything, I find that what supports me the best is yams. Like I find sweet potatoes are like the magic food and it's just a beautiful amount of carbs and uh, without like a, a fast, you know, insulin response. Yeah. I mean, and you're likely combining it with fat too. And it's relative to how you're training. And I would have been very intrigued to see what your blood work showed in that transition from paleo to if it fits your macros, because I can almost guarantee that inflammation was showing. And this is where I say, just because you can get away with it doesn't mean you should. So yes, physically, maybe you, which I feel like you are, you know, you're genetically an elite in the way that you've been an athlete your whole life and you train. So you know, to such a level, not everyone would make that switch and maintain their body composition. You did, but you still didn't feel your best. So it's not a, what can you get away with just in terms of body composition? Like that inflammation is the root of so much. So I'm thrilled to hear the place that you're at now. And also I think as a dad, very cool that you're setting, I think a really balanced example for the girls, because I work with a lot of clients who are adults now who struggle with their relationship with food as a result of mirroring how they saw their parents eat. So to set a good example, I think when you have, you know, kids around you that you're nourishing your body and fueling your body and not restricting, and it's all about balance is huge. So last question, and then we've got some little quick rapid fire questions, but I actually wanted to talk to you specifically about that balance in terms of business coaching husband, father, you know, like we've talked about the physical, the mental, the sleep, the nutrition, but you've got like this 800 hats that you're wearing at all times. So what's your formula or tips, tricks, lifelines in terms of how do you balance that and make sure that all of those areas are getting, you know, a percentage of your attention without burning out or letting one party down? 
if I had to take a hard look at myself, you know, some days I, I think I'm not doing it. I sometimes I feel that I'm not spending enough time with my kids. And if I am, then I feel like I'm not having any quality time with my wife. And I, I think part of our society is uh, really driven by guilt. Um, we feel guilty all the time. And I don't think balance right now is something that should be something that I strive for or even can even achieve at this stage of my life for the simple reason. I think your life as a whole should be balanced. If you look at it from start to finish, because in about 10 years from now, my three kids will be moved out and I'm going to find myself with significantly more time for say myself and my wife. Right. So I think a lot of, the time that we're not, you know, investing in each other, my spouse and myself, or the time that I'm not getting, I don't get a lot of alone time because I'm either in front of people coaching or I'm, you know, at home or I'm training with people. Like I don't get a lot of just quiet, just alone time, which I actually crave. <laughs> Is that bad to say? I just love alone time. Um, so I think, you know, the biggest thing is, I would encourage people not to be so hard on themselves, you know, and it's okay if your life is not completely balanced, but more than anything, instead of trying to seek all this balance, just be in the moment. And I think that's why people love CrossFit so much because from the moment they walk into the gym and start that class, the moment they leave, there's an hour where they don't have to think. I do all the thinking for them and I tell them just to do exactly this. And then they do it. And in the moment, and Callie, you can kind of speak to this when you're in the middle of a 60 wall ball set, you're not thinking about anything except like, man, I just need to count the 60 here. And you're just focusing on your next rep. Right. And I think you need to live your life a little bit more like that. So if I'm programming and doing all my custom programs for all my athletes, I'm just focusing on those. And then if I'm with my kids, then I'm just trying to focus on that conversation that I'm having with my daughter or one of my daughters. And if I'm with my, you know, my members, I'm trying to focus on them. And if it's, you know, 10, 15 at night, and it's the first time that Rebecca and I have a chance to actually sit and talk, I really try and turn everything else off and just focus on that conversation. Yeah. And I think that's the only way you can really manage it is to truly find a way that briefly be in those little moments. I think that's a really great takeaway is that you wear so many hats, but you are not multitasking per se. I know you are, but you know, you're so focused when you're in each of those specific roles that does allow you to do the quality over quantity. And that goes a really long way. And of course, you know, being at the gym, I can attest to how present you are when you're coaching. And that is a great point that I have loved with CrossFit is the flow state that you get to the point where now I don't want to like work out in my garage gym by myself because it's not the same. I ha I'm thinking I can check my phone in between. I'm like thinking about clients when I'm at CrossFit, it's, zoned in like it's just and that's a mental break too and I mean we could talk for hours about the mental benefit of that when it comes to exercise so okay I've already taken up so much time in your day after talking about how busy you are so five quick fire questions that I didn't prepare you for but I know you'll be totally ready who is your biggest role model or biggest role models if you have to choose Stan King my uncle Stan King oh First and foremost, by a, like a long shot. Best advice you've ever received? Always get back up. I mean, you'll get knocked down over and over and over in your life. Just always get back up. And that was from one of my wrestling teammates in university. Just always get back up. He uh -huh. said, it doesn't matter. Just get back up. Best book or resources you'd recommend to people? What's your go-to? Uh, best book that I've read in the last say, couple of years is uh, Shoe Dog, which is the story of Nike. Um, oh, nice. it's Phil Knight's biography. It's absolutely amazing. I really enjoyed it, but a lot of it's because I'm an entrepreneur and I love sports. So it really spoke to me. Um, and best resource book. Um, I really like, uh, super bodies, which is, uh, it's like a, it's like almost like a textbook, but it's one that I've really gone to a lot. And your, your personal mantra or words to live by. I love the concept of anything that's worth doing is worth overdoing. I don't like to just try and do little things. I like going after the big fish. I don't, I don't know. I'm just, 
I always feel like don't just aim so low. I find like people just aim so low for so many things. And I'm not talking about dreaming, but like set those big, bold goals and go after them. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes actually really aligns with that. It's um, if you set your goals ridiculously high and fail, you still fall above everyone else's success. Yeah. Like my goal was to be a world champion and then um, I ended up second at Worlds as a master in, in 2019, but I ended up on the podium and they, you know, like that's super cool. Yeah. And you know? someone's yeah, got to do it. Why not? I know you? they'll make fun of me that I'm not a world champ, but hey, I got a medal in the world. So that's good. Uh, okay. Finally, if people want to learn more about you, what you've got going on right now, where can they find you? CrossFit306.ca. Easy. Lots of resources, easy contact, ways to contact us. And don't wait till tomorrow, guys. Like yeah. your health. So this, this is a quote that I want to leave you with. This is a, it's not mine. It's from a, a Buddhist monk. And he said, Western societies, they'll neglect their whole health in order to accumulate wealth. And then they hit retirement. And then they spend all their wealth trying to get their health back, not neglect your health. You don't need to be motivated. You just need a little bit of discipline. I think that's the perfect note to end on. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat. I know that people are going to get so much value out of this conversation. We will link all of your resources to the website and I'll see you at the gym soon. Awesome, guy. Looking forward to it. Jason Kane is a coach, athlete, and the owner of CrossFit 306 in Saskatoon. That's all the time we have together this week. Thank you for spending your time with me today. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode every Sunday. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook at KY Wellness. And more details about this episode and future episodes can be found at kywellness.ca under the podcast tab. Don't forget to move your body, nourish your body, be kind to yourself, be kind to others, and I will see you next week. Keep yourself well.